You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors. We're a PR firm that specializes in music tech. If you're new to Music Tectonics, we also have a conference in October. Um, we have an app where everybody in the music tech community is invited to join and be part of the conversation. And we have a podcast, which you're listening to now, which comes out at least weekly. Sometimes we do more sprints and we've done a wide variety of topics recently around live streaming, around remote co collaboration, and also introduced you to some interesting companies and organizations. And that's what we're going to do today. My guest today is Cassandra Strauss. She's the Senior Special Projects Manager at BPI, the British Phonographic Industry. And uh, she also is running the Springboard, Springboard program for music tech startups. So I thought it would be fun to bring Cassandra on and have her tell you a little bit about uh, kind of their efforts and resources. We'll learn a little bit about the, the UK uh, music scene and music tech scene. Um, Cassandra's also worked at InGrooves in the past, at Sony Music before that, or before uh, BPI. And so it's great to have her perspective. Cassandra, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Dimitri. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. It's a it's a nice day in London. Excellent. Um, so let's just dive in for folks who may not know BPI. What is BPI? Sure. So we're the trade body representing the recorded music industry in the UK. Um, if you're in the US and you're listening, the, the kind of closest equivalent is the RIAA. Our members are the three major labels, over 450 indie labels, um, and then we have associate companies as well. Um, and then I guess our remit is sort of twofold. Um, on one hand, we're here to protect and promote British music. So the protecting side comes from a very comprehensive and anti-piracy sort of content protection program. And on the promoting side, we're actually super fortunate to own and run the Brit Awards, which I guess is our equivalent of the Grammys and the Hyundai Mercury Prize. And they're the two biggest industry events in the UK calendar. And then we also co-own the official charts company um, and we have an active comms department through, through which we talk about um, the value of music to both the economy and to sort of people's lives. And then the second part of the remit is to serve our membership. Um, so we put on a lot of training courses, insight sessions, networking events and um, a lot of research papers and market reports. That's kind of it in a nutshell. Wow, that was a lot in a nutshell. Uh, thanks for thanks for clarifying. I think it, it you know it, your your analogy to the RIA is helpful for U.S. artists and, and artists that know the U.S. market. Um, so uh, interesting that BPI would have a program specifically for music tech startups. Uh, it, uh, why don't you tell us about the Springboard program? What what is it? Sure. Um, so I think we've met a lot of interesting startups through sort of going. To through conference, to conferences and um, we've spoken to a lot of our label partners and how they engage with startups. And one common thread was that there's actually more we could do to demystify the um, industry because it's very complex and a lot of talented people who might have great ideas might not know where to start when um, starting a company or tackling a problem for the music industry. Um, and that kind of comes from maybe lack of understanding of the structures or how rights work. Um, so, yeah, the Music at Tech Springboard program is really here um, to democratize access by demystifying the industry. And that's both in terms of 
content and kind of how it works and also who the people behind um, the industry are and who startups should go to uh, if they want to get things running. It's like, a, so the name Springboard, it's a springboard for music tech companies to learn about the, the, the recorded industry. Exactly. Although we kind of touch on publishing slightly as well, because um, it's very important for people to know that if they're going to uh, set up a tech startup, it's very likely that they'll need to deal with both the recorded side and the publishing side. It's actually one of the most common misconceptions that, that we've seen people wanting to only deal with one, one side of the coin. Um, so, yeah. Gotcha. Were you going to say more about the Springboard program? Um, just in terms of what it actually is. Um, right. <laughs> so um, we, we've put together a series of eight videos that are available on YouTube for everyone to find and, and watch for free. We've actually assembled a really, really impressive list of names from the industry. And that's across labels, lawyers, PROs, accelerators, incubators, advisors, and successful tech startups as well to kind of talk about do's and don'ts, um, explain how they work, explain how they like to be approached, tell people what they're interested in. Um, and it really, all together, the eight videos are about two hours and it really gives you a toolkit to move forward. Um, and then in addition to that, we offer six months free membership to the BPI and you get access to all, all the good stuff that I mentioned before. And our partners, Music Ally, who um, helped us put this together, are also offering a six-month free trial uh, to their service. So all of this is just a really comprehensive package to, to help startups move forward. So that would be the Music Ally uh, daily newsletter? Oh, yeah. M Music Ally are actually a, a very complex company. So yeah, most people would know them from the from their excellent daily bulletins and their in-depth reports. But we actually work with them in a number of ways. So um, they're one of our main learning partners. So the training courses we put on, um, we do a lot of events and insight sessions with them. Um, so yeah, they're more than just the daily newsletter. So as a, as a six-month trial-free membership, you get access to some of that training material as well? I... I believe so. You definitely get access to the Music Ally training courses that come through us, for sure. Oh, oh, gotcha. I see. Yeah, yeah. Well, that daily newsletter, the bulletin, is my first read every morning because it comes out from the UK. Um, it's it's there before I wake up. And uh, Stuart Dredge, who we've had on the podcast, does yeah, such did. an amazing job of uh, kind of trend spotting and updating on a kind of a mix of music industry and music tech and some of the wider tech lens. Um, and he's such a great, great writer and, exactly. and uh, analyst. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a massive fan of Stu's as well and a massive fan of Music Ally. And um, yeah, they're, they're, as you said, they're brilliantly positioned at the intersection of music and tech. And that's why we, we chose them as our partner on this one. You know, I'm curious. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, some of the some of the topics on the the eight videos that you guys produced, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about your your background, and then get into some of the startups that are involved and so forth. Sure, absolutely. So the first one is an introduction um, by our CEO and Paul Brindley, who's the CEO of Music Ally, just basically explaining how record labels work, because it might not be obvious to people outside the industry and then in, in the second one we have four label executives so uh, Glenn Cooper from Universal, Victoria Cruz from Sony and Scott Cohen from Warner as well as Adrian Pope from PS uh, giving a lot of really meaty advice on on kind of how they work and do's and don'ts in that in, in those relationships 
Um, then we um, we have PPL and PRS who are um, PROs and they sort of go in depth in how licensing works and they give advice on how to work with them, but also when it's time to move on to get licenses from other rights holders. Um, we have the law firm Reed Smith, so Gregor Pryor and uh, Sophie Goosens, who again give a ton of good advice. Um, and uh, we also have advisors, Cliff Lee from Lewis Silkin slash 11 Management and Becky Brooke, who's an independent um, advisor, who kind of complete that whole journey. And actually their piece is quite interesting because the labels sort of say, look, probably the best thing you can do is get a get an advisor to, to help you fully understand what you want to do and all the nuances and complexities. Um, we have accelerators, so we have two fantastic programs, so Abbey Road Red and Marathon Labs. Um, and we also hear from four successful tech startups, each very different, um, that can tell us how they made it work. So we have Melody VR, who are probably sort of furthest along in their journey. Um, we have Landmark, who is sort of the Pokemon Go for the music industry. We have Jack, which is a, a blockchain-based uh, startup, and Click and Clear, um, who are doing licensing for the cheerleading industry. Yeah, we've had Click and Clear on the podcast from our Meetem series back when they participated in Meetem Lab. Um, so very cool. Yeah, Chantal's amazing. She's, she's so cool. Yeah, she's great. Um, so um, if people, we'll, we'll, we'll mention this again at the end of the podcast, but if people want to join the springboard uh, at BPI, the Music Tech Springboard, how do they do that? Is it available to anybody in the world or is it just UK? And where do they go to, to find out more? Absolutely. So obviously the, the video side of things, the learning resource is available on YouTube, accessible from all over the world. And the membership is also open to everyone all over the world. And we have startups from actually all the corners of Europe, um, Asia, actually as well, quite a few um, American companies. So yeah, our doors are open to anyone around the globe. And all they need to do is go to our website, bpi.co.uk, and there's a big button that says join. And then it'll become obvious uh, what they need to do from from there. And it's it's free. Gotcha. So from the join section, they'll find out about the Springboard program. Exactly. Got it. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to get into more depth here. What is your story? How did you land there? Oh, God. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, um, it's a really long story that I'll try to keep as brief as possible. Uh, my story actually starts in a small town in Transylvania. Um, and then when I was um, a teenager, I discovered British music through a friend, and I became really, really obsessed with it and that whole world. And I also became obsessed with working in the music industry and moving to the UK. So um, when I graduated from uni, um, just about 10 years ago now, 10, 12, oh, I, I lose track of time. Um, I, I packed my bags and I moved to London and it was, it was quite difficult to break through at first, but um, I had a bit of experience from having worked in the music industry in Romania. Um, and then, yeah, started small, started working for a music library, and then I moved to Ingrooves, as you said, um, worked in the sales team there. And then from there, I landed a job at Sony, which was quite cool. Um, I was an account manager for Catalog, and I, I looked after Apple, which was sort of mainly iTunes back then, um, and Spotify, which was a very small account at first, and then obviously grew massively, as we all know. Um, I had a great time there. 
um, I, I worked with some of my all-time favorite artists, so it's amazing. I spent four years, um, but I was always sort of interested in kind of macro trends in consumption, monetization, and sort of the big picture and um, the issues the industry is facing. Um, and then I also had this drive to kind of help people, and I wanted to like make a positive contribution to the broader industry. Um, so I thought, oh, I'd like to go to a trade body or a charity to do that. Um, and I'd been quite familiar with what the BPI was doing because I'd been to some of the events and I thought they were doing some some really cool stuff. And then they had an opening in 2017 and I applied and here we go. Got it. And uh, how did the Springboard program emerge? A combination of factors, really. So as part of my, my role, I work a lot with our comms and research team. And I... As I said, I kind of go to conferences a lot and um, and try to see what, what people do. And um, prior to me joining the VPI, um, there had been um, a thing called the Innovation Hub, where labels and startups came together to sort of pitch to each other. It was mostly like a meetup type thing. So we kept thinking, how can we how can we actually deliver the most impact? And what do startups really really need? I think startups really need information. And it's interesting when some startups pitch and you're a bit like, oh, I just wish you'd have known this before you pitched. So we sort of thought, how can we put all of this in a package that's easily accessible um, so that startups are really equipped um, to pitch and to interact with the industry before they do that? And really, that's how I was born. And I, I kind of talked to anyone who would listen and I talked to Paul and Stu at Music Ally and they were so on board and they they got the vision. So we just got cracking. Got it. Got it. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is I'm always interested in these sort of hubs of music tech startups. We find out about ideas that are bubbling and companies that are emerging even at the earliest levels. And, and you know, there's always some some breakouts from those those groups. In fact, last week. Um, I did a live stream in the Music Tectonics app, of, uh, a video where I just went over some of the highlights, uh, participants from various competitions uh, and conferences mm-hmm. and, and classes. We yeah. included the Wallafornia Music Tech and Meetem Lab winners. Yeah. We had Techstars Music. We had Project Music yeah. uh, participants and so forth. So I was like, oh, here's one we haven't really dived into yet. What can you tell us about some of the startups that have uh, joined in? I know it's early, but th- that have joined in so far, what what they do and so forth. Yeah, totally. So we, we were super impressed with with the number of requests we got and we actually put no criteria around the type of startup you need to be. All we said is you either have to have fewer than 20 employees or be no older than 5 years. Um, just because we were sort of looking at startups who are quite early and not that not that developed, um, and we onboarded thirty one out of those who applied, um, and yeah, they they sort of tackle all corners of the industry. I guess in terms of trends, we've sort of seen quite a few live streaming companies, mm-hmm. um, which is very much a, a sign of the times we live in. Um, quite a lot of data ones, sort of data processing and insights, that sort of space. Um, some other interesting ones, I guess, um, there's a company called Breathe Music who are very early stage um, and they got some initial funding, um, including a government grant to do some R&D in the music recognition space. And they're working a lot with academics on this. 
and they're sort of called the Shazam on steroids because they recognize any song, whichever way it's played. So they sort of say, hey, if you play Hey Jude in a pub reggae style, we'd still recognize and monetize that. Oh, wow. So I'm really interested to see what, what they end up doing. Um, and that's called Breathe, like Breathe Air? Yeah, exactly. Oh, breathe God. Music. They're sort of in stealth mode at the moment, um, but they and they're fundraising. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's quite interesting that the, the world of research and kind of academia is quite um, mature, I would say, in the UK. There are a lot of government grants and it's something the music industry has maybe not gotten its head around completely, but that's another area that I'm working with our director of public affairs on, on how can we make this more accessible for music companies because um, there are pots of money and expertise to be had. Um, yeah, we've really digressed here. Um, oh no, that no, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I think thinking about how these things how these things emerge, and there are definite differences, you know, from from country to country in terms of what the the, yeah. the, the culture and the society and the government supports or past we you know past that that music tech companies go down. So I mean, that's actually helpful, I think, for uh, you know uh, folks in other other countries, U.S. in particular, where there may not be any grants or or <laughs> um, you know the, it, there's a different relationship with kind of research and, and university institutions. So, are there other yeah. other startups you wanted to kind of point out from the mix? Yeah, um, I guess one of my favorite ones is a startup called Lyrica. Um, and they enable language learning through music, which is something that really speaks to me because I learned a lot of my English through music, oh, wow. through lyrics. Um, and it's such a cool idea. And they've got backing from Sony, which is great. And they're, they're looking to expand. So at the moment, they only work with Spanish. Um, but they, yeah, they're kind of looking to go global in the next few years. And I think it's got great potential. And it will speak to a lot of people. So fingers crossed from them, too. Um, there's another startup called Merch Music, um, who offers um, printing merch on demand, and that doesn't only help with stock, stock management, especially for kind of smaller labels and artists. Mm -hmm. um, but they have a global footprint, and this means they'll print and ship from the closest location to the customer, mm. um, which is a massive help when it comes to tackling the carbon footprint issue which actually prior to the whole um covid crisis the whole environmental impact of the music industry is something that we at the bpi were looking at and the whole industry is looking at so i think anything that's kind of eco-friendly is is a plus um and they do lots of other stuff that, that kind of i think makes them the most sustainable um, fulfillment solution for merch so they're cool um, but yeah, I, I know you mentioned Wallafornia before. We, we partnered with Wallafornia as well. And there were some good startups there, and some of them actually joined us. So oh, cool. um, yeah, it's cool. Really cool. What were some of the ones that uh, overlapped with Wallafornia? Um, good question. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> Ununu, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, and Hyperlive, actually, which I'm quite impressed by. They're a. Um, they're like an AI-based hit predictor, which I know has been done before. But um, having having looked at their track record, it's really, really impressive. Um, and they say that's all down to their proprietary algorithms. Um, so, yeah, it's a it, pretty phenomenal success rate. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how how they develop in the next few months and years. They're the, are they the ones that on their, their website they have a, have a case study about the... Um 
about the Eurovision Awards and about Lady Gaga yes. predictions and yeah, uh, yeah, and they have like yeah. the, the kind of Friday forecast where they I think they look at five tracks each week. Um, but yeah, they they kind of looked at the at the bigger events as you said as well. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I might need mm. to talk to those guys. Um, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, any more before we broaden out to some of the bigger picture topics around the challenges of music tech? Um, do you know what? I'm all tapped out, I think. No, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't want to stop you. Um, wh so what are the top challenges for, for music tech startups these days? I think they're the same challenges they've, they've always had. It's sort of raising funds, getting deals with the industry, and I guess getting getting heard, getting customers. Um, think funding stuff suffered a little because of COVID, but hopefully we'll return to normal soon. And then on the on the deals side, I, a lot a lot of people have said it's yeah. been getting easier with the music industry, and it's been so nice to hear this feedback, um, especially from startups that have been around for ages. And they say, you know, in the past it's been really difficult, um, and it, it's massively changed, and the industry really is more open than it's ever been. Um, that doesn't mean it doesn't take time. It's still like it takes a long time and you have to graft and you have to, um, you know, you have to, to pitch yourself and sort of prove your, prove your value. I guess there's more openness than ever to do, to start small. So like MVPs, pilots, proof of concepts, that sort of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, getting customers, I guess, is, is, is ever um, difficult. Yeah. Um, what, what have you seen from your side? What's your view on this? I mean, I think I think everything that you named is is accurate. I I actually think um, there's so many ideas out there and so much enthusiasm for people to in, be involved in the overlap of music and tech that just demonstrating value and finding out whether the idea that somebody thought sounded good is actually got enough value for the potential users and a lot of them are are marketplaces. So it's kind of like the two sided market. You have to match up both sides. So Maybe you have to build up a catalog, and then you have to build up a user base. Um, and uh, it's very hard to convince people to invest any energy or time when you don't have a user base, um, and vice yeah. versa. It's very hard to get users if you don't have a catalog. So I mean, I think um, it's it, it's it's just tricky to find that that sweet spot early in the game and just get enough traction to start building. So you kind of have to you kind of have to sell a vision. And then you also have to have enough um, enough credibility in your concept. Like the, the concept itself has to be unique, and then you have to have some some sort of unique um, value proposition that exactly. that nobody else sees. They're either going to be buying into you as a concept, like oh, this person is going to solve this, or you have to have some technology or relationships in place that position you uniquely so that not everyone else is going to do the exact same thing as you and that's those are tricky variables to line up at the right time that, that that's super spot on because that's exactly the sort of trifecta is the having a great team having a great product that delivers something unique um and and kind of knowing how to to go about it and kind of getting those deals getting those licenses and and getting out there and yeah, getting people to bet on you. I'm glad you asked the question because it'd be interesting to think of what are the categories, the most common categories of path to success for music tech companies because one of them I think about is building up a user base in a parallel world 
and going from there. I mean, Click and Clear, for example, Chantel already has this relationship with the cheerleading and synchronized athletics world, and she's become and becoming the the kind of the translator between that world and music licensing royalties exactly. all that stuff and yeah. so um it's kind of on the one hand y when you first hear about it, it kind of comes out of left field and you're like what that's not a revenue stream there's no and then you're like wait a second there's thousands and thousands of cheerleading groups uh acrobatic groups aerobic yeah. gr groups gymnastics groups synchronized swimming you know you and you're like wait a second that's actually brilliant it's a totally yeah. untapped market so she went and learned the music industry side built a platform and she's got a built-in you know a built-in um user base on the licensing side that nobody else has tapped because who knows those people yeah exactly i mean she's she's in such a unique position and i think that's what the best startups sort of manage to do is sort of find a niche and also maybe something like sports you sort of because it's so large scale you assume it's already licensed you assume it's done through the proper channels but no like she spotted this gap in the market and then i think she's such a great success story in how she's gone about building that company and kind of this whole notion of starting small getting out there networking 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 pitching um you know she was sort of saying in in our video that uh, she met her investors um through a networking event and I think she's just such a go-getter. And it's, it kind of goes back to the, the founder and the team and kind of knowing how to educate yourself and what areas of the industry you need to educate yourself before, before you put the product together and starting small, iterating, um, and then, yeah, building, building from there. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree. She, she's, she's amazing. So that's like one pathway is like this, yeah. this, the, how do you tie a parallel universe into music? And you see a, a, a lot of that with, um, with, with video gaming, online gaming, esports, mm -hmm. where somebody has expertise and an audience built in from a, a, another area. And then they start translating into music. So we see these music festivals taking place in Roblox and Minecraft exactly. and Fortnite. Yeah, and all yeah. of a sudden there's something there. And maybe there's a developer that's a, a Roblox developer or a Minecraft developer that now has this opportunity to kind of unite those worlds. Um, and that maybe that's more of a service than, than like a tech company in a way. But it's, yeah. it's, I mean, it is a tech company. They're just not selling a product. They're more selling a, a service in a way, although that could then get productized. So that, that's an interesting path. I think another yeah. interesting interesting path is the the companies like the b2b analytics companies that are taking publicly available data and uniting it in interesting ways that provide new insights so for example chart metric would be an example of a company yeah. that is helping you get revelations benchmark from you know streaming social media social video all together sure. to see the passive thing to see the value of playlists and, and all that kind of stuff or who we had the ceo sung on on the a uh, couple episodes ago or you have a company like pex pex that's doing that in the, kind of the video video world across multiple platforms where you can get a lot of insights of who's using your music or um, or how your music is or or video is passing through multiple platforms. But the point there is that's another pathway where you you take publicly available information or API based stuff and then present it to a user in a way that they're like, yeah, this is way better than what I could get by looking at individual platforms. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think there are a lot of people trying to do that. Um, and I think that that's another good point because um, the startups that need licensing are the ones that we're trying to not not target necessarily, but we they sort of face a lot of challenges when it comes to interfacing with the industry, just in terms of understanding licensing structures. Um, but there's actually a whole world of businesses that don't need licensing. Um, so I think Landmark's a really good example on that one, um, who I mentioned before. And basically, they just created an amazing campaign for Alt-J, and it went so well, and they actually thought, hmm, this can be spun into, into a company. And they, again, they kind of, they went around and pitched and network and built and worked hard and like traveled internationally and took opportunities where they came. Um, so, and just kind of, it, it snowballed from there. And I guess another path to success is sort of knowing when to pivot and knowing when to iterate. It's like, um, obviously like their business is, digital experiences in physical locations so with the whole covid lockdown that's sort of been put on put on hold so now they've pivoted into offering virtual tours so they're releasing location targeted content to match dates of sort of canceled tours and i think that's such a neat idea and sort of pivoting is something that comes up a lot um where it's like maybe you have an amazing vision but it's not really realistic or achievable so it's knowing walking or like understanding through lots of conversation what can make you successful um and and kind of pivoting to achieve that um yeah i think yeah it and i think you can't underestimate the the sort of human element in in the success it's like most of the successful companies that i can think of have really good founders um and founders who who kind of know how to approach the music industry, know how to talk, know how to make themselves liked, and kind of know how to get people to root for them. If you see what I mean, I think. Um, do you know a startup yeah. called Licked? Yes, I've I've heard of Licked. Yeah, so Licked, I think, is another great success story. Um, they actually they went through the um, Abbey Road Red Accelerator, so they offer commercial music licenses for YouTube creators and influencers, which is again mm-hmm. like kind of seeing, hey, the space is burgeoning. Um, it shouldn't be so difficult to get music. Let's do that and start small, prove your value in terms of like building audiences, especially for emerging artists. Prove your value in driving incremental revenue. And then there you go. And they recently announced a deal with Universal for both publishing and recorded. Um, and it's it's just great. They're doing great. And the founder, Paul, is just so lovely as well. And um, it really helps. Like it, it's sort of that enthusiasm, energy, know-how. Yeah, it's that, that space of like micro sync is... Uh... Uh, is is really blowing up. There's a lot of kind of platforms emerging, and it'll be interesting to see how that pay, plays out, and whether there there may be some consolidation in that world eventually, <laughs> because there's so many people trying to do it. But it's also growing massively. We we really are in the age of fans wanting to be co-creators and wanting to ha- sort of have a, a slice of the pie rather than just taking their vinyl going home and, and listening to it so i think there'll just be more and more demand i mean you look at what's happening on instagram and tiktok and um all these new platforms and all these new audiences just behave in such a different way 
And um, we actually recently um, did an event um, around understanding audiences under 18 years old. And another interesting thing that, that came out of that was children growing up now are so used to having a voice activated device in, in their home. They just don't know a world without it. And they don't know a world that doesn't have all the information on the planet at their fingertips. So it's like, how do you cater for the, the, the sort of next generation of consumers? Um, and I think these are all really interesting problems for startups to try and solve. And I think there are still problems that we haven't even thought of yet. So yeah, it's an exciting space. Yeah, you know, um, that brings up a good question. Uh, what what kinds of problems do you think the BPI community membership, the labels, uh, would respond well to getting fixed by music tech startups? Um, good question. Mm -hmm. I think the way to approach this is really fundamentally looking at what a label does and kind of looking at the entire ecosystem. So... At the start of it, they identify and sign new talent and they develop that talent. And, you know, there are already lots of startups working in the space of identifying unsigned artists and, you know, hit predictors, as we said before. Um, but yeah, that's kind of one area. Then you sort of move on to um, the way they use insights to understand audiences and how they use that to build fan bases for artists and how to kind of connect with those fan bases. Um, and once again, it's, there's a lot of people operating in that space already, but it's becoming so sophisticated and increasingly so. So who knows? There might be ways of looking at data that we haven't even thought of yet. Mm -hmm. And then you sort of look at, okay, so you, you have the fan base, you have to create exciting experiences for those fans. And, you know, they can be online. So you, you look at things like live streaming, as we've said, or like online meet and greets, which have become quite big. Um and yeah, you also look at how do you express digital fandom, uh, which I think is a very interesting problem. Um, so, you know, we used to collect ticket stubs and posters and all of that. And that's kind of mm -hmm. gone away for the new generation. And, you know, you see the engagement on um, AR filters, which is really cool. And I think there's a lot of potential in digital collectibles and contextualized experiences. Um, yeah, there's a lot kind of in, in that kind of catering to fans. Um, right. Yeah. And I think another another area that I think is maybe overlooked is catering to a casual music listener. I think mm. um, super fans are cool. And um, again, at the BPI, we did an event around serving the super fans earlier this year. And there's a lot that can be done in that space. But there's also a lot to be done for, for your casual music listeners. So... Lyrica, who I mentioned before, are a good, are a good example. And it's kind of looking right. at, or, you know, or Chantal and, and Click and Clear. It's kind of looking at sports, looking at language learning, looking at things like, I don't know, karaoke or like fitness or mental health and like all these other things that we have around us that have nothing to do with music and seeing what part music can play in them. I think there's a lot to be said about that. I really like, uh, first of all, you're really flexing here. That was an amazing l list of categories when, for, for music tech companies to think about. These are the t these categories of, and I don't know if you're done yet, but these categories <laughs> of problems to solve. That was, that was just amazing. But I really like how you frame that about casual listeners. You know, 
um, you know that we've had Mark Mulligan from Media Research yeah. do a, a bunch of uh, events, and, and we, we follow him very closely. And he talked a, a recently at one of our events about the switch from contextual playlists here's here's a soundtrack for you to do x y or z cook or work out to music actually learning into those moving into those contextual experiences mm -hmm. so a fitness company has music in it you don't listen to a, a spotify playlist you're listening to whatever peloton has curated for you yeah or you're not necessarily looking for your meditation playlist on spotify you know calm or another meditation or <coughs> mindfulness app has a musical experience that's already there and so when you, I like the way you frame it in terms of casual listeners. He talks about context. You're talking about casual listeners, um, but it's really about the same thing that music is, the digitization of music is finally reaching a point in terms of access and licensing and infrastructure that those use cases are not getting slowed down and stopped. And as a result, the soundtrack of life is yeah. not just showing up on the radio or in streaming services, but inside other products and experiences. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm actually super obsessed with this app called Aptive. I don't know if you know it, and it's it, Aptive. Aptive with with a double A. Um, uh huh. And they have nothing to do with us, nothing to do with our program. I don't even think they're widely known in the UK. Um, but they they sort of bring the gym experience at home where basically you have playlists of commercial music that you recognize rather than sort of bland library music that no one's licensed. Right. Um, and the workout is kind of layered on top of that and you have like an audio coach. Um, and it's just so good. And it's, it's such a basic thing where like if you go to the gym, you have really good music, but actually you don't have this at home. And someone's actually thought about, oh, why don't we why don't we bring this into the digital space? And you'd have expected right. more of that to happen. Um, but yeah, Aptiv, if you're listening, um, please say hi. Um, I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed I use, a, I use a, a fitness app called Swerk It, and it has, it has, they have playlists built in, um, and it's not, I don't think it's really library music. It's curated well. But then you can also just connect it to your Spotify account oh. so that you're listening uh, listening in conjunction with, but I, I'm, I'm interested in, um, apps like feed.fm and weave, or I should say companies mm -hmm. yeah. that are trying to build the backbone underneath fitness that have, uh, the ability to sync rhythm with your heartbeat yeah. and the yeah, pace yeah, of your yeah. activities and mood and, and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Adaptive music. It's huge. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's that's going to be so cool to see as that emerges. As long as we don't get too creeped out by it, and you know, Elon Musk wanting to put chips in our heads for <laughs> listening to music, um, and then maybe uh, you know, the next step for adaptive music is to flip it instead of the the music adapting to us. It's us adapting to music, and then you and <laughs> then it's all over. Game over, guys. Mu what is it though? You just become a slave to music, which is a <laughs> it's a dream yeah exactly were you, were you going to mention any other categories of problems that the music industry would like to see solved by music tech startups because i love the categories you had um yeah so i think so you sort of yeah you sort of go through the process and go through kind of d the different departments and i guess one that definitely shouldn't be overlooked is the the logistics the the shall we say less glamorous side of things which actually can be super lucrative so things like metadata or music delivery reporting accounting these are all super important like making sure artists get paid fairly and efficiently um and actually around this the there's a really cool thing that Scott Cohen mentions um, in his video, which is 
um, don't worry about solving the entire problem around these things because it's super complex. You can um, you can solve a part of a problem, a tiny bit of a problem, but if you do it really well, then that's massively valuable. And also you don't have to overhaul everything. It, it might just be a tiny tweak that drives efficiencies. Um, and that's, again, very valuable. And I guess, I mean, the, the other interesting thing is, is sort of how what I mentioned before, which is not looking at the problems we have now, but imagining what they will be in, in I don't know, five, seven years' time. So like when 5G is um, widespread, if not ubiquitous, and then you can have large-scale XR experiences, or you have, you know, the, the young audiences that grew up on voice-activated devices kind of becoming primary customers. How do you serve them? It's just such an interesting problem. Oh yeah, that that's a great category as well, and and it's it's a little bit of future gazing um, or or projection out and and getting there before anybody else. Um, yeah, which could really be in any of the other categories from A and R to insights to experiences to logistics, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that that's an amazing that's an amazing list. You are super flexing here, and uh, <laughs> I, I guess now now you're going to be on everybody's radar because you've got a great context um, with both the the tech side and the industry side, and really seeing you're very kind how to frame Thank it. You, to you know, <laughs> I'm just telling it like I see it. I'm I'm super excited <laughs> that we went from a a little uh, a profile on this program to to really getting macro about the you know kind of trends and and stuff like that. I mean, I think we could talk forever. Um, and we'll definitely need to have you back on the podcast and in our events and things. But when you look at the music tech landscape, um, what, what's giving you this context? What conferences, what media outlets, what organizations are kind of hot spots for networking and learning and deal making? I mean, we've both already talked about Music Ally. You guys partner with them. Um, we, you know, we love working with those guys. Um, and I mentioned Mark Mulligan from Media Research as well. What are some other, what are the resources, conferences, outlets, and so forth that you think uh, our listeners should know about? Sure. Um, I would say, though, if you if you had to pick one, especially if you have to pay for them, I would definitely go for Music Ally because um, they're just so wonderful in how they're positioned um, and, and the way they cover things. So definitely they deserve the double double shout out and hmm. definitely media very high on the list. Um, yeah, Mark Mulligan and, and his team are great and we do things with them as well. Um, worth reading their reports. I guess um, Music Business Worldwide is another good one. Oh, yeah. MBW. They, they, mm -hmm. they, they cover, they don't really tap into startups as much, but they cover the industry and they cover big tech. So they're all over Apple, Spotify, TikTok moves, and they have some in-depth analysis, which is, is pretty good as well. Um, and if you're new to the industry, I guess they cover a lot of sort of movers and shakers. So um, that's another good one. Um, conferences so obviously con conferences have sort of taken a bit of a, a hit this year yeah um i have to give a shout out to actually to meet them and to california for going digital that I'm, I'm i was so impressed with what they achieved um because it's so much more difficult than it seems and I, I know you know this because you're planning a conference yourself um but yeah they, they did great um and they both um, moved moved fast and and they both do such a great job for music tech scene um meet em lab yeah. is 
is just a great annual uh, event to go to. I've attended in person, obviously digitally yeah. this year, but um, but is Agreed. it's just it's uh, it's also got that international like you at Meetem you really know that you're hearing from so many parts of of the world. Yeah. And California is this rising beacon of of music tech activity. So I totally agree with you on both of those. Love those Agreed. guys. Agree. Actually, London-based, um, we Music Week had a tech summit in 2018 and 2019, and in 2019 they had a startup competition as well. And um, I, I've, I've actually had the pleasure of being on the on the jury for that, and that was great. And it was such a hotbed for panels and networking and networking and startups. So it'd be great to see them come back next year. Um, that's kind of it, London-based, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Also, like in terms of networking and, and learning, um, and this is a bit of a left field thing, but really I would urge startups to look into accelerators and incubators. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, both Abbey Road Red and Marathon in London and obviously Techstars in the US do such amazing work. And if you do get accepted on the program, I think you're learning networking opportunities or sort of growing exponentially and it's the other thing is because the industry is such a people's business you any opportunity to meet someone or to be on someone's radar even if you can't do a deal with them straight away is so valuable because they might bear you in mind or they might recommend you to someone what was the second one you mentioned besides abbey road red marathon marathon labs yeah yeah, yeah. so marathon artists they're a really cool indie uh, group and they um, they have an incubator, incubator or accelerator. I'm not uh-huh. sure. This is so uh-huh. bad. One of them. <laughs> um, and I think they've done five cohorts already. Um, and yeah, they're based in London. They work differently to Abbey Road Red. I think they, they have five or six startups. They usually work around theme. Um, and they're, they're really great guys. And... Um, you can hear from Paul Rene, who is the president of the Marathon Artists Group, which comprises the the labeled management and and the tech side of things in in our video. And he's such an impressive guy overall as well. So, um, yeah, I'm glad to know about that one. I I don't think I've come across them, although I see Musio, who's somebody we've worked with, his uh, was in their 2020 cohort. Um, so I'll definitely be digging into that. That's awesome. Okay. Look, we need to wrap up shortly, but let's, since, since you're at BPI and since you've given us such great contextual information, let's just, let's ask the question, how is the outlook for the UK music industry looking into this COVID-19 era? What, what are you seeing and, uh, what's next? Sure. Um, and let's try to end on a positive note. Um, obviously, the industry has been badly hit, like everywhere around the world. Um, I think the life sector has suffered the most, venues, nightclubs. Um, and there's been a massive campaign um, in the UK to, well, both from the public and also from the industry side to try and to lobby government to get help. Um, and as a trade body, lobbying is something that we do a lot, and we've we've rallied up with, with the other trade bodies as well to do this. Um, and you know, retail has been affected at first, um, obviously with all the shops being being shut. Um, but actually, actually, we can see some signs of of improvement because um, some of the shops have pivoted to home delivery, and that's helped pick up the slack. Um, and then streaming 
has kind of dipped at first because I think people were super confused about the world they live in and that their commutes no longer happened. Mm. Um, so that dipped a tiny bit at first, but it's it's back on track now. But I think the, the real positive story out of this is people really realizing how music has the power to bring everyone together and all the kind of digital campaigns that happened, um, all the listening parties um, and the kind of general outpour of support from from the audiences towards artists and towards industry and getting things back on track. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, that's I I like that. I mean, look, we can't we can't be um, you know, we can't fool ourselves about the economic impact of of covid, this pandemic, the lockdowns, the continued problems with fighting this virus and and uh, how it's impacting the economy and, and the impending recession that was talked about even before this pandemic hit the whole planet. But I really appreciate that perspective of thinking about music sticking around with us. And I actually think it's, it's, a, it's a struggle right now for, for artists and for the, certainly the live music scene where people aren't feeling safe, even when, when governments sometimes say it's time to open up, you know, you're, you're going to have a, a different yeah. level of demand. However, I really like your point that music is with us, you know, and it's, it's really, it, it does really point to the source of, of inspiration and, um, and, and sort of comfort in, in a pretty rough time. So um, I, I do appreciate that mm-hmm. perspective. And it, to me, it lets me know, uh, it just reminds me that, that there's still important work to be done, not just from a commercial standpoint, not solely from a creative standpoint, but really from a kind of a, uh, <laughs> a well-being of the planet, you know, where, where this, is, this is, you know, we talked about music yeah. in context. Well, what's the contextual experience of music in a pandemic and the need for comfort and connection and inspiration and just continuing yeah. to go on? So way to turn my negative question into a positive. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, oh, I couldn't end on yeah. It well, this has been a blast, Cassandra. I didn't know that I was going to get so much great inf- insights from you um, when we decided to do this, and I'm and just great to know you and have you on the show again. Um, congrats on getting Springboard off so the much. ground, and uh, r- remind us Thank if there you. are startups listening that want to get engaged, or music industry folks who who might want to support startups that are involved with Springboard. Where do they go? What do they do? Absolutely. I think the easiest thing to do is Google Music and Tech Springboard Program. I was actually super excited to see that we um, we appear as a little sort of Google highlighted thing that we didn't pay for. So that's cool. Nice. Um, <laughs> so it's easy to find us there. BPI, we're at bpi.co.uk. Um, there's there's info there. There's a, there's a tab for Springboard there. If you want to join, hit the join button. There's a Music and Tech Springboard membership. Um, yeah, I think Google is your friend on this one. And I don't know if you have any podcast notes, I can I can send you some links as well. Absolutely. Send them on over. Um, thanks so much for joining me, Cassandra. It's been a blast. Thank you, Dimitri. Thank you so, so much. And thank you for listening to the Music Tectonics podcast. Uh, always glad to have you along for the ride. Get to dip in and learn from different points on planet Earth like 
Cassandra Strauss from BPI and the Springboard Music Tech Springboard program. You know, you can actually learn from more people um, in the Music Tectonics app. If you go to app.musictectonics.com or you can search for Music Tectonics in either the um, Apple, iOS, iPhone ecosystem or Android, Google Play World. I don't know what they call their store anymore, but Music Tectonics is there. We've done recently AMAs with Sherry Hu, Tracy Maddox, uh, Sung Ho from Chartmetric, and we'll be doing more events there, live streams, and more. So check that out and hit subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Music Tectonics.